0: listener and welcome to the Locker Room Podcast by Dealey Sports Science. Uh, I'm Kieran Dealey and I have Head of Performance Ross Bennett here with me today. Um, we're going to speak about this is the 54th episode. It's been a while since I've been on, Ross, so it's good to be back. I know you were on with a couple of the professional football coaches. Um, Michael Beal, a wh- little while back, he's been doing pretty well with Aston Villa.
1: Yeah, he's flying, kids. so i um... Yeah, I've always rated him, but it's fantastic to see him doing well in the Premier League now. So, yeah, I haven't been on for a while either. I think Joe and Stevie Poocher are flying the flag and and a couple of others um, are beating us to it. So it's good to get back.
0: Good, 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 good. Okay, today what we're going to be speaking about is designing a season training plan. We're going to look specifically at the club GA season because that's starting up now very soon in the coming months. Um, And we've uh, uh, a season long planner for 2022 season up on the website dailysportscience.com where you can purchase and members get uh, get it for 20 quid number non-members for 40 quid but also we will dip into to, to speak about professional football soccer and, and other sports and stuff like that everything can be applied to any sport just firstly then i just want to thank our sponsors ripped.app uh, ripped is a software platform built for performance coaches and organizations With easy to use programming tools and training load, well-being and nutritional monitoring via the RIPT app, all your coaching tools are in one place. Streamlining your coaching, making it more accessible for your clients and athletes and providing you with the insights you need to optimize performance. To find out more, head over to www.ript.app, that's R-Y-P-T.app and use the code LOCKERROOM, all one word, capitals, to get your two months free trial through DSS. Alternatively, go to dealingsportscience.com, go to the podcast page and you can click through a link there and it gets you two months free uh, for anybody to use uh, for your your gym and and monitoring tools. Okay, great. Ross, I I was looking through the the planner that you designed uh, last night, quite an extensive planner. This season is a little bit different, just focusing on the GA season. Again, this is the first split season, so in other words... Teams will be returning back to preseason in springtime. Uh, they should have league games then coming up. We, we don't know every single county is different. So we think something like in March and April will be the return of League and Cup games, uh, going all the way through April, May, June. And probably while the intercounty season goes on, probably then when the intercounty season finishes, sometime. In July, or obviously for other counties, it'll finish before that if teams get knocked out. But let's just say July Championship then, club championship for GA teams will start in July, August, September and potentially finishing uh, in October and then into provincial championship games. I know it can be complicated, but in other words, what we're looking at this year, there's a split season. First half of the season, inter-county will be going on. Second half of the season will be club. But of course, club will still continue on for the first half of the season as well. So it's a little bit different this year. Previously, we would have been looking for teams to peak uh, for championship games, let's say in April. They'd have a couple of games in April. Then they'd have a bit of a break and then you'd be pe- looking to peak later on in the summer in August, September, uh, into the autumn, into to October and all. So a little bit different this year. In some ways, actually, There are challenges, but in some ways it's quite clean and clear how to approach the season then, isn't it?
1: Yeah, like you said there, it's going to be linear development all the way throughout the season, really. You should see your team get stronger and stronger, fitter and also technically and tactically better, especially if you've gone in the new club. Um, But also you have to remember the workload that they've done the, the last the last season where things were scuppered because of COVID and then things got crammed in quite an intense period of time. So we've, we've taken that into account in our approach in terms of coming back a little bit later. Um, it, it's quite a clean format. I mean, it's quite a nice format from, from an outsider looking in. I know culturally it's different, but I quite like the, the, the split season on, on paper anyway.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And me too, actually, I think it's much cleaner. There's more certainty there for teams and coaches and players, club players that, okay, this is how the season will unfold. It might be a little bit frustrating in that between, let's say, February up to June, July, you won't have your intercounty players at all, But and then it's straight into championship. But, but in other words, you know when championship will be on. You know when you have to peak for it. Um, it'll be quite a maybe a slow start to the season, and in ways, that's why our recommendation was that wait till at least February to return. So I know that it, it, it's easy for uh teams to get start back as early as possible in January, first of January or even pre-Christmas, we're trying to, you know, not recommend that and push them back to at least February, you know, well into February in some ways. But let's just say from first of February, where you start back at that stage into your kind of early season work.
1: Yeah, well, we've got down here the recommendation first first of Feb to get them back in from week in first Feb, which is obviously this week. Um, that still gives you, depending on the first league game, of course, going to differ county to county. It still gives you around five weeks, five to six weeks to prepare. Now, if you think of other sports and the sports that we've worked in as well, football, that's a typical pre-season time. So I think it's definitely enough time to get people up and running for the first league game, but knowing that you're not going to be at your absolute peak for that first league game because if you if you prepare for too long before league game the worry is that at some point during the season when it really matters championship I know league's important as well but towards the, the mid and the end you don't want to burn out and 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 really affect yourself there
0: yeah so it's a bit different in soccer isn't it because you've you've got a you know what it was a seven or eight month long season you've got probably six weeks of preseason, maybe seven weeks some teams They'll prepare, they'll work hard in that. You know, it'll be progressive throughout those six to seven weeks and then you're straight into a league format whereby the first game will be worth the same amount of points as the very, very last game, you know, in the beginning of May. It's it's very easy to approach that and it's very simple. You know what you have to do. Obviously, in, in football, in soccer, teams will probably, certain teams will look to peak at the end of the season. So like your, your Man City's, your Chelsea's, et cetera, who are looking to, you know, be at the latter stages of Champions League and stuff like that. They're hoping that they're going to be at their strongest at the end of the season. But this is a little bit different than in the GA, isn't it? Because you're using those League and Cup games at the beginning of the season still really for developmental purposes.
1: Sure, I I 100% agree with you, but I don't think in in any sport you can maintain your performance right through from the start of the season to the end. So I think even in in the top sports like soccer, the teams won't be peaked at the start of the season, even though everybody will expect them to be. Um, But I think also the culture around all of the players now in any sport is completely different. The off-season isn't a time where people go on four-week benders and and don't touch a ball anymore, don't do any physical activity. People come back to pre-season in all sports relatively in half good shape. Um, so, due to off-season programs, due to more awareness, and and, and the game-changing all round, that's in all sports. So, you don't actually need as long now to shock those bodies back into a physical condition to compete. They're already coming in at quite a good base level in 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 the main. So, yeah, I do. It is definitely different, and I think that um, the, the the GA club should use them first two months of the league and cup campaign to really still keep developing and developing and gearing towards the summer. Um, but I think that happens in other sports without people realizing it
0: as much yeah kind of naturally i think it's a good point you make as well that because of covid the ga season has been a little bit all over the place for the last two years and a lot of teams have just finished up like very recently their club season you know because the season got completely condensed in 2021 so actually a bit of rest and recovery is a really good thing and as you say players now are kind of 24 7 athletes in some ways of a lot, of, a lot of top players are, they're either students, they're working as teachers, they're, you know, working in a bank or something like that where they have relatively good working hours and they've time to go to the gym and do their recovery and eat well. And so, yeah, I'm not saying all club players are like that. But you know, you still have the Joe Coulters of the world pulling on the jersey and stuff, but we're, we, we try at least.
1: Well, I think there'll be a few teachers angry with you there saying they've got <laughs> enough time to go and train. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Listen, some of my brothers are teachers, so I take the heat. Whatever. I think um,
1: I think you was right there about the um, like making sure we we respect the condensed season because we went from a massive period of individual programs, so loads and loads of sport um, where probably we saw quite a high incidence of different injuries of growth-related, of, of, growth um, of load-related injuries. So I think that now we just have to make sure we've respected that the body's gone through that different different type of season. And that's why we pitch things a little bit later to give them a, a bit more time to, to, to a bit of downtime before they come into the competitive sport again. Do
0: you think we're still in that phase? Where, remember last year and the year before when the season returned briefly during COVID, after COVID lockdowns, where we recommended get into as in training, get into as much games and kind of collaborative uh, practices as much as possible in training, because the players had done so much individual skills work on their own, you know, against a wall in the park and stuff like that, or maybe in pairs if they could, depending on their bubble. And we were recommending, you know, get back into those kind of you know big group. Uh, Practices, phases of play, you know, possession based transfer, everything like that. I mean, I know that's massively in our programs anyway, obviously, but do you think we're, we're still, there are still players who are still lacking in that aspect of it more than the skills after the last two years?
1: I think so. I think that some players will probably be affected by that for the rest of their career. Like if they came through essential um, development blocks, if you think of like young kids, 16 to 18, up to 19, who are breaking into to senior football or football where the, the format's changed in soccer, things like that, they've missed that, that chunk of, of development. So I think they'll be behind for a few years um i think physically now depending on what your stance was as a club i think now physically due to covid we've come out the back of that risk period but only just I think there's been circuit breakers over here over the Christmas period which has set us back a little bit um, so I think only just now we're coming out the back end of that from a physical perspective but I think there'll be players who are who are younger players tactically who, who might take five six years to really catch up and that's where your coaching has to accelerate that understanding.
0: Yeah and you know linked with that point I think the without encouraging people to head out on too many social nights or whatever it is but if you think of it there's a lot of especially younger players like you mentioned who've been introduced into teams and probably don't know the other players that well or maybe don't know the coaches that well and so like i think the importance of that kind of the psychosocial corner you know that we always speak about that gets ignored sometimes or by some teams or clubs is going to be really important
1: yeah, totally agree. And even the ability to to just socially interact in society, some 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 people probably have lost skill sets there. Um, so, yeah. you know, the, figuring that out amongst your squad can be can be quite nice. And things like the the player councils and player leadership groups and and different bonding activities, which I'm not really the, the it's not on the forefront of my mind when you're coaching. But I think in this yeah. situation, you have to see what you've got in front of you as a group and what's gonna gonna get get you better.
0: Yeah, definitely. Just out of interest, just from your own experience working in professional soccer, the players who either had COVID, well, especially the ones who had COVID, or even the players who, let's say, were in a period of isolation for five to seven weeks, any particular uh, issues that you kind of came across with that? Or, or as a general kind of rule of thumb, is it just approach it like a kind of an injury period where you progress? reintroducing back into training slowly or how did you feel things went
1: yeah interesting because we, we actually underestimated the effects of COVID at the start especially those that had COVID but wasn't symptomatic um, we kind of got them back into training fairly quickly but actually there was still some residual effects from a cardiovascular perspective that we didn't think of and they were struggling quite a bit um, so we've, we've designed quite I mean we work in deve- from the sports science perspective in, in the development side of things so we have to be careful with kids um, but we're very pragmatic in our approach in, in giving them at least like four modified sessions before they go back into the full training session and making sure you check in their obs and, and, you know, their response to training and how they're finding training during it, their, their heart rate, their temperature, things like that, that you can check very easily. Um, but yeah, I think, I think be very careful for someone that's had COVID, especially someone who's been symptomatic because coming back into exercise, a lot of the symptoms around fatigue have still been there a week to two weeks later.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really good for advice. that just, just, I want to then, look at the programme, so the programme that you designed uh, um, from a physical point of view then, so what's your what's your general approach, let's say, without digging down into too much detail, as the season approaches, let's say they're still in off-season, they might be doing a little bit of cross-training as a guards, you know, they might be... Uh, playing a bit of squash or five-a-side soccer or whatever it is, which is great, just keeping them in shape, doing a few little runs or, you know, whatever they want for fun. So let's say then we're beginning the beginning or the first week of February back into training, then what's your approach as regards the physical aspect?
1: Sure. Well, you, you, know, you know my stance um, in terms of I'm a, a, an advocate of, of longer running, for example, of, well, I say longer running, six to eight minute runs and stuff like that. And we've put that in the in the first week. Now, typically on, on a pre-season, we'd have a few weeks of that to get the boys back into shape and give them some lower intensity, high volume work. I've been interacting with uh, Gareth Sanford quite a bit on Twitter, um, mm-hmm. who, who works in athletics. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not in, in the majority in, in the sporting world. You know, people yeah. think everything needs, you know, and and no one's right or wrong this is just my my approach people think things should be more related to the game and more specific to the sport now I think most of the time that's true 90% of our training is specific to the sport and overloading those physical capacities but I do think we limit um, our athletes ability to to endure those those lower intensity high volume stuff which is going to have a good impact physiologically without getting too deep um, for their performance so yeah. the, like the peripheral adaptations the extraction from 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 the blood to the muscle stuff like that that you, you won't be looking at to target and overload with the high intensity work so we've got the we've got the first week of that in plus the introduction to technical work and obviously basic load in, in integration not working them too hard in the first week feeling the ball um, a little bit of physical work and I just think leave the players um, wanting a bit more where they've been pushed but they haven't been pushed too much they're not they're not out on their feet and, and on their backs with their hands around the head and stuff like that um yeah. so, so that's what week one would look like but that longer type running quickly quickly goes because we've condensed the preseason shorter so we get into some vo2 max in week two then we get into aerobic power work and then by week end of week three the longer running um is kind of gone then and, and you go into more mass type work but i think that the main thing is that like we've always said before yes you have that physical component of fitness but get straight back into the into the technical work get straight back into your game plan work but just be very very um methodical about how you approach that and step that up over time over the yeah. first six weeks
0: yeah i mean it's physiologically specific isn't it it doesn't have to be exactly a sport and skill specific in absolutely everything you do you know just like you break down a movement or break down a skill into in into its component parts you overload that aspect you reintroduce everything back together then into the game or whatever it is and and you should see greater improvement so that that makes complete you know scientific sense to me as as well as kind of practical sense i think
1: sure like we, we're all working off the game and like a lot, a lot of our um you know debates i've had with people over the past is like well look at the game so like we're, all, we're all working backwards from the game the game is a high intensity game it's it's repeat sprints essentially there's periods of massive high outputs and there's periods of low outputs where essentially you have to recover now if you break down all of those sub components the aerobic fitness is, is a large component of that as well as maximal sprint speed and speed yeah. endurance etc etc cetera, et cetera. so if you break down aerobic endurance as well the lower intensity stuff is going to give you then peripheral annotations to recover in between bouts of high intensity stuff so we're working on that that little component when we start off working with those now once we shift towards more repeat sprint lactate stacking uh, we call them the the rodeos that we took from qpr which are which are basically overloading sport specific movements then you're hoping that your aerobic base that you took through the continuum now enables you to perform those high intensity exercises um better and and recovering more in between so yeah we're, we're always working from the game and it's one part of the development it's not the whole thing but for me it definitely has a place
0: yeah definitely the the nice thing with that I think as well is that you can dip those let's say four by four minute runs VO2 max uh, uh, developmental uh, conditioning protocols back in at any point of the season as well I think players will benefit you know in the height of the summer at all stages as long as it fits into the schedule and the programme and the games programme I think you can get massive benefits from that
1: Sure. I think the easiest way to do it is to look at like you're always going to have a fixture-free weekend within mm-hmm. within an eight-week period. I was just drop in your, your high volume stuff there and your low intensity stuff there. So everything else is high intensity working towards the game. It looks like the sport. You're you're looking at your loading, you're looking at different things. And then you would give them a little dose every six to eight weeks of your four by four minute runs. and for me, that will just give them enough variation and, and stuff to, to physically, you know, keep progressing and stay stay at that level.
0: Yeah, I think, and the last point just to make on that as well is that, like, because of the normal technical and tactical training, there will be loads of high intensity work with change of direction and uh, agility and eccentric, you know, work on the quads and turning and decelerations and everything. So, you know, in ways you don't have to kind of overload that with additional conditioning at times as well, because there's so much in the training session. So it's nice to get that bit of kind of physiological variety to your, to your players and athletes as well the gym program just very briefly is quite simple isn't it because you've got as you say you've a start point to the season you have an end point to the season you have to develop all throughout the season hopefully peak in that kind of su- those summer months and into the autumn so it, it follows a quite a, a linear progressive model
1: yeah, it's, it's it's fairly simple. Like during preseason, typically we'd always go with a fairly like linear, like periodized plan. Start with some higher reps type stuff, more from a movement pattern perspective, and just get them back into them their movements. You want them to be confident in the gym. Shift that slightly towards what we call functional hypertrophy, where you're doing six to eight reps. But I think people get scared and think, well, I don't want my, my team to get like too big. Well, in actual fact, like the six to eight reps you're doing once or twice a week is not really gonna come anywhere close to the volumes. To to enable them to really get hypertrophy. It's called functional hypertrophy due to some adaptations that that happen at a muscular level um, without getting too boring. I know you're quite on um Cluding gears, but like sarcomeres increasing that sarcomeres in series and stuff like that. So that, that that's the only reason. And I think people have to realise to get stronger, you, you just need to overload some parameter. And by actually overloading intensity to lift to six to eight reps, you're going to provide that that increase in force production to get stronger. Yeah. And then and then it shifts on to more the traditional strength stuff where you're going to to five reps. Um, and then that just progresses through to power and, and 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 it kind of cycles through the season in terms of strength and power stuff. Now well, I would say this is very um, generic because we don't know the players here, the individual players that are in your team so if there are individual players that have specific ILPs that need to work on or individual plans that need to be more explosive and powerful, then you might not get them to follow the periodized plan as much. They might be on an individual program, or you might have all the players individualized within the theme. So even though you're working on strength, there might be certain areas that a player might need to work on, or they might need to dip a few more plyometrics in there because that's where they need the most development. So this is just a blueprint that if you if you had very limited resource and you just wanted to give your your team a plan, then I think it's very very competent and and it ticks all the boxes. Um, but obviously, you know your players better and everybody yeah. works with different players
0: Yeah exactly and, and even there'll be a lot of younger players you know you'll hear coaches saying that oh, he needs or she needs to uh, usually he needs to bulk up you know, so let's give him a, a hypertrophy programme throughout the whole season. But obviously, that, that's not the correct thing to do. But there are different points in the season that that player can do an extra little bit of gym work or they can do an extra session, let's say, uh, per week as well, as long as it fits into the programme correctly. Just, just uh, looking at then, so it, it's quite easy programme to follow, the one that we've designed um, there's different, it's uh, edible, editable as well on Excel, so you can put in your fitness testing. Tell us the importance of, of fitness testing throughout the season and not just doing it at the beginning of the season and never coming back to it then. And how, how do you say, for instance, in the academy, how would you use it?
1: yeah it's, it's, it's a good point because again there's very mixed views on this and, and and people say well well why test you know why why, why what's the point of testing you're taking up training time etc for me it's it's paramount and it's actually very easy to do you don't take that much time at all um in the program you've obviously got it on on week one where you go for a full battery of, of tests i understand in terms of like gym testing because you're going to get quite good feedback from the, the weights they're lifting week to week so essentially you you have an idea of, of what they're they're getting stronger at but the simple thing for me like your jump stuff that you should do um and also your aerobic your aerobic stuff that we do i mean we do a four lap fitness test here either in our dome facility which is just under 1.2k or on the pitches which is just over 1.3k um so what we would do here i mean we have to comply with what's called the e triple p in in the academy stuff here where we have to have testing three times three times a year three times a season we have to do that to get our funding that's that that's a rule that's put in place from the premier league but we do it every six weeks so we have time points in between those testing points that every six weeks we do a four lapper um, at the start of training on a tough training session so they do a warm-up they go into the four lapper and then they just train as normal so it's, it's normalized within the culture and it's important to do that because you're constantly checking the individual status of your of your player um, you have an idea of the amount of load they're going through and the program they're going through because you've, you've written it for your club or your county or whoever it is but how are they responding to that are, the, are they becoming fitter Um, or are they losing fitness or is it a fatigue issue? It starts to bring up some questions that you might not see from just watching them in the game. So I think it's really, really important to do. Even top, top clubs probably only test once at the start and they don't touch it again. But then, you know, for me, if the manager comes to you and says, well, how fit is he? Where's your reference point? You can look at all the loading all you like, or you can look at how good he's performing in in training, which will give you indication and the match, but it will only give you so much. So... I yeah. think it's important to check the individual like um, fitness abilities of your players and that's yeah. not just aerobically you know we do power testing very very easy to do. you can do it during the gym sessions how's your training program pairing up to the response are you getting those adaptations that you want is the player developing and that's yeah. what you need to see over over the season if they're not then you need to ask questions is it too yeah. much is it fatigue is it not enough um, is there enough variation in there have I put the foundation blocks, et cetera, yeah. et cetera.
0: I saw somebody describe it, I, I like it. It was called a, a training prescription tool. So instead of just using it to kind of uh, um, uh, look back at your training, it's always, you're also using it to prescribe future training. And in terms of like the mass test that you said about the four lapper, you can do it, you can design your mass protocol from that. Um, the other thing as well is that like, as you say, it can, be, it can be integrated in as part of your training session. And I think if you do a four lap right at the beginning of the session, of course you can go on then and just train as normal. There's loads of times to do jumps. If you want to do squat jump, counter movement jump, a single leg counter movement jump, some sort of RSI, uh, reactive strength index test, you can do that before training. You know, the players are arriving an hour, an hour and a half before training. You can definitely do it when they're, when they're in a fresh state. Um, so maybe, I suppose, sprints is probably the only thing that you need to just, you know, schedule it carefully into, you know, the beginning of your session or as a standalone kind of speed session maybe on another night. And as you say, it can be easily put in as part of the gym programme as well, you know, to do your monitoring. And I, I, I think it is very important because if you're throughout the season, if that player, if their results are down, it, it means something. It's, it's either maybe the training program is not intense enough it could be the training prob- program is too intense and the loading is too much the player might have some you know injury or niggle or something like that they might be uh, suffering from overtraining or some fatigue there could be an illness and like that's all really good inf- objective information that you can get and it's more of course you still just have the subjective conversations with those players but it it if it's backed up with objective stats and measures like that i think it can really add weight to a, a discussion
1: yeah definitely. and i like the thing about the training uh tool prescription like for those that are very fortunate enough to work with gps um and there'll be some county you know i'm sure county people listening awesome. as well yeah, yeah. well well, you know, we use relative, um, you know, thresholds for high speed running, very high speed running, sprint distance, um, which is a separate topic in itself. But for, for, for me, it has to be individualized. So it has to be relative. And, and you know, we've gone down the, the road now here, which we utilize both off maximal sprint speed and, and maximum aerobic speed. So if you get constantly updated measures, true measures of, of these things, then the thresholds that you're using are going to be more accurate. So yeah. they, they're used to individualize thresholds. And I think as well, if you're using GPS, you can do sprint speed within your speed sessions. Yeah. If you're getting meets per second, you're, you're seeing when someone's hit a new max speed and that's then informing your relative training zones and, and, and how the player's developing as well. So yeah, yeah. Great, good, good point on the speed stuff. If you're going to do like gate testing, just make sure it's, it's in the right time in terms of the periodized plan and they're fully recovered and maybe it's yeah. not the first session back on the pitch in the week and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. Um, we'll just move on to the technical and tactical. I mean first point to make is at the beginning of the season the days of kind of killing your players in pre-season and, and not seeing a ball for six weeks and everything that's long gone and I, I think even down to like lower level clubs that's, that's gone as well now so really the balls are out at the very beginning of the session right from day one
1: yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you think about it, kids, Even when we we went into London years ago, we still had that one physical session on the Wednesday night. Now I know you wasn't here. You was you was, <laughs> you, you was in India, so maybe that was why. But but you th- even even the culture shift from that perspective. Now you know, last three or four years, not you know, straight back on the balls. There's no there's no yeah. just physical only session. And and you've got to think about like you got six weeks, five six weeks. Yes, the physical side is important, but they need to they need to get straight back into the work, the shape work, the, the lower level stuff that you can do in the first two weeks that aren't going to kill them physically, but are going to really instill the technical base, the principles of play, the tactical understanding um, to, to prepare them for the, the start of the league.
0: Yeah, I think an interesting question came up on the DSS members WhatsApp group there during the week, and they were saying about... The 1v1, the 2v2, two the 2v1 two two, two is so important, you know, for work, skills work and everything like that and taking on your man and and how, how it's a good practice and good drill to do. And that all teams should be doing that, you know, from the beginning of the season. And my advice was that they are brilliant and we use them a lot in professional football and Gaelic football and every sport, hurling and everything. But obviously you have to program it carefully as well. And like a good rule of, rule of thumb is that you're not looking to put the absolute highest intensity work in the preseason or at the beginning of preseason. You need to build up to that. So maybe start off with your, you know, 5v5 work, 4v4 work, stuff like that, some sort of possession drill. And then work your way towards the end of preseason where you get to the 1v1 and 2v2 work.
1: Sure well I think that I think it depends on what context you want to use it in so like in terms of the game structure you're actually better off going large, larger games 10B, yeah. 10 ten b 10s 10B, at, at, right off the start so whatever numbers you've got on the largest you know amount of players you can fit in if you could do a 15v15, 15 15 even yeah, after yeah. two two sessions go into that because people think well that's physically more demanding. Well, it is demanding, but you can cut the time. But also the amount it's more about their aerobic capacity to get around the arena and the amount of actions they do are going to be a lot lower. Now, as soon as you make that pitch smaller and make there less bodies on there, your medium-sized games, it becomes a high-intensity game. Not so much in terms of the amount of high-speed running you're going to cover or the amount of locomotive distance you're going to cover, but in terms of the contacts and 1v1s and when you're going to be called in and out of possession to, to have to affect play now obviously then if you go to 1v1 and 2v2s that's happening all the time there's no yeah. rest so it depends on when you want to put it from a games point of view i would always put that in probably week three week four um, of a six-week preseason. Um, yeah. from from a principal perspective if you wanted to do some 1v1s from a possession then again it's like week three but always start with larger larger type stuff even possessions and 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 shuffle yourself towards the, the the 1v1s, 2v2s as you, three, four weeks as you go along.
0: Yeah, and remember, you can limit the duration of any drill or practice as well for the, the actions and, and give them more recovery and stuff like that. Maybe less reps than you will work your way up towards. Just thinking about slightly later, in the, at the beginning of the season, we kind of focus more on principles of play, uh, possessions and stuff like that, and build up towards those more kind of, um, the, the, the games program and also within the training sessions and also the phases of play you're, you're hardly going to go in like week one or week two straight into a phase of play you're kind of building your way up to that a little bit as well just from a kind of tactical point of view as well as technical and physical
1: Yeah, I think it's a case of, especially if you've got a new team or you're going to play a different way or you've got a whole new bunch of players, (laughs) I think it's a case of, right, what does my end game plan look like? How do I want this team to play? What principles then fit into that game plan? So, you know, if we're a team that switch play well, then you might start to look at your midfield type players, your pivot type players being able to switch play effectively and how you're going to do that. So that's why those little principle play type possessions and functions that we call them are going to be reimport before you put it into the phase of play because if you go straight into the phase and say right I want you to do x y and z but you haven't actually worked on the 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 individual components of that then I think you're 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 setting them up to fail a little bit Um, nothing wrong with going into a phase after two three weeks at all Um, and again it's just a guideline it's all based on what your club need and what your team need but to me it makes sense to really hone in on three or four key principles whether it's out of possession, in possession, before you put it into something that looks like the game.
0: Yeah, exactly. So you so in other words, you're practicing compactness and supporting the first defender and stuff like that in little, little drills or practices or possessions, whatever you want to call them, before then you expect to see them in the phase of play and, and in the, let's say, the the large sided game or something
1: exactly like i've just done a, um, a webinar on playing the high press right so mm-hmm. if you if your team that was all based on on the on the soccer pitch um, but as as we said you know we took a lot of that stuff into the county that we work for but if you want to play a high press then a major thing is going to be first of all the trigger of the first pass but also getting pressure on the ball so you're going to want to get pressure high up the pitch so then your principal practice might be a possession that enables the first pass to be the trigger and then it's about timing of movement and getting pressure on making play predictable Now, that then is your direct transfer into your phase. So you're talking about general principles of mentality of going to the ball, supporting first defender, um, positioning of movement, timing of movement on a smaller scale where you're going to get more success and more turnovers. And then you take it into a phase of play where actually this is how it looks like over bigger distances, relation to your players' left and right view you in your in your units, and you're scaffolding the the principle to go into mm-hmm. there. And 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 then that th- you have the in possession stuff as well. So it's just about making sure the team are fully aware of the principles, and and it's more about mindset without the possession stuff. You know, mm-hmm. it's about making sure that they know if they're the nearest man, they've got to get to the ball. Whereas if you're playing a low block, it's like okay, you might not go to the ball here. You might just scan and look at your position and stop yeah. them playing. Through you and block passing lanes, so yeah. it's just giving them them ideas before you say, okay, now you've got to go and do it.
0: Yeah, exactly. That, that, that's I mean, that's the essence of coaching, isn't it? That you're working on that on the training pitch week in, week out before you expect to actually see it come to fruition on on match day on Saturday or Sunday. You can't expect to just see it naturally occur, or even by you having a big speech before the game and ex- and telling them what you want. Have you done it in on the pitch? you know, on Tuesday night and on Friday night beforehand. 100%
1: Yeah, 100% and it's about actions as well like you go into a phase of play you know yourself when you coach the phase like how many times naturally are you going to get that option to to press high in a phase of play over 30 minutes maybe maybe eight times eight to ten times or or maybe 15 if you're working on kick out specifically right if you go into a, into a possession or, or principle of a function or whatever you want to set it up in 20 minutes you could have a player doing 60 opportunities to go and press the ball 50 opportunities to support the first defender and 40 opportunities where he's in the team functional team shape so the amount of actions they're getting to change a mindset and a way that you want them to play is much higher than they're going to get in in the phase of play or, or the game
0: yeah exactly just lastly then i want to touch on in-season uh, micro cycle so a week long let's say uh, program in season uh, just because i think it's interesting because we we we, we delve deep into it in the training program that's up on the website on dealysportscience.com but If you're going to be training on, let's say, in Gaelic football on a Tuesday night, a Friday night, and then you either have a game, a match on the Sunday, or you might train on a Sunday, like a very simple way of kind of viewing it is that maybe you might do small sided game, high intense, axles, decels, defensive work, maybe focused on the Tuesday night, on the Thursday or Friday night, you might kind of play a little bit more expansively, phase of play, focus on the attacking and everything like that. And obviously at the weekend, whether it's a training session or a match, it's going to be large-sided 15 v 15 or 11 v 11. Um, and then it's kind of just, you know, producing the performance on the weekend. And any thoughts about the, the microcycle from, a well, I suppose, if, firstly a physical side, but also a tactical side as well?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, let's to touch on the physical stuff first. So I think, like, the, the Tuesday, for example, if you went Tuesday, Friday, Sunday, like, you know, in, in two days a week, two training days a week, we know that you can't just have a session where you're not really training. You know, we, yeah. we have the luxury of the full-time players where you can do a light session on a on yeah. a on a match day plus two. Now, yeah. on a match day plus two in the Gaelic, we know that's probably going to be the session you're going to get after players a little bit. I and think. and yeah, you know, because you're going to want it slightly further away from from the game. So yeah. on the on the Friday night, you're not going to want them to, to, to work too hard. So Tuesday's going to be your time to to get after players. But what I would say is make sure you have some form of monitoring process even if it's subjective where players have worked extremely hard at the weekend um, and and you're checking in on them when they arrive even if you've got no sports science support as a coach just checking with players you can set up simple questionnaires for them to submit or you can just make sure you get around and talk to each player check in with your medical team and just make sure that Tuesday's right for each individual but if they've recovered well then 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 we're going to get after them I think you with the game stuff that you mentioned like I think it's too simplistic to say that Tuesday we're going to work them small-sided and then and then Thursday, we're gonna prepare them for the game. I think you always have the Thursday or Friday session to prepare them for the game. That's mm-hmm. your tactical session where you want to instill your game plan, yeah. uh, make sure the messages are across. The Tuesday's a physical one, but for me, I think you cycle those games across the weeks. Yeah. How how many times do you have to do small-sided games, and how much transfer does it actually have to the big game? So I think two yeah. weeks out two weeks out of the six, you work small-sided games. Um, two weeks out of the six, you work medium-sized games, and two weeks out of the six, you you actually overload the yeah. large game itself. Um, and I think that will give you an all-rounded um, kind of physical profile, but also, you know, understanding the game a bit better across the face.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, something I always liked when when just, you know, with the London lads or, or other teams when I was involved with, I did like to kind of have that, that last session uh, where there was a Thursday or Friday really focusing on the attack about, right, how are we going to break down the opposition and setting up... In training, obviously, one one set of teams set up like, you know, I don't know, like Galway or something like that, that this is how they're going to defensively set up and then really focusing on our attacking side. Then that here's how we're we going to break this down. How are we are going to break down a, a low block, a, def, a block, a defensive unit or something? Um, and the, the Tuesday night can be, you know, maybe it's, Maybe it's working more on the defensive side of thing, you know, so you're working on both sides or or it could be on the attack as well. But I did like that that last kind of session was really right. Here's how we're going to win the game. The Tuesday night was like, here's how we're going to get close, you know, coming into the last 10 minutes. Here's how we're going to actually break through that dam then on, on the last night. Okay, we'll leave it at there for today. Thanks to Ross for that really insightful chat. Just looking at designing a season-long training program, more focus on the GA club season, but it can be easily adapted to the soccer world or basketball, rugby, or even inter-county world. Some really interesting insights there from a physical point of view, but also the technical and, and tactical aspects as well so it's our 54th episode Uh, i just want to thank again our sponsors ripped so if you're tired of using limitations of using excel and email to deliver programs email uh, ripped can help you simplify the creation and delivery of training programs making it easier for you to provide everything your clients and athletes need all at your fingertips with training load well-being and nutritional monitoring so you can get the full picture of your clients and athletes performance find out more head over to www.ripped.app and if you go to the dailysportscience.com website go to the podcast page you can click through the link there and anybody uh, listening to this podcast can get two months free access to ripped okay thanks very much and we'll see you next week